This is the Reflection Podcast, and I'm your host, Ed Blonsky. We all reflect the things that are most important in our lives, and the things that shine the brightest on our lives are reflected the brightest in our lives. So on this podcast, I have conversations with people in whom God has made a difference and equipped them to make a difference in other people's lives and in this world. And this is how they reflect God through their lives. My goal is that you will be encouraged to see how God can use you and how you can reflect him to change the lives of others in this world. The Reflection Podcast comes to you from St. Matthew Lutheran Church in the northwest suburbs of Chicago, and I'm on the pastoral staff here. Stay tuned to find out how you can connect with St. Matthew. Thank you for joining me today. Now, let's see who's joining me in the pastor's office today on Reflection. Joining me in the pastor's office today is Matt Peoples. Thanks for joining me today, Matt. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. This is a blast. Awesome. So for our viewers and listeners, why don't you uh, give us a little bit about Matt and see what where you are and what you're doing these days. Yeah, so uh, ministry's been fun these days. I'm, I'm currently the founder and director of what's called the Kairos Network. Um, and the Kairos Network came out of my journey as a church planter, um, I I have an unlikely path to ministry. I'm the first person in my family that ever went into ministry. And really for me, it was more of this passion, uh, a passion to see uh, my disconnected generation get to know who Jesus is, a passion like that God put in my heart for doing ministry, um, but not really having like a clear pathway there. So I did public undergrad. I was a mass comm journalism major. Um, took a year off, um, pursued some other stuff, and then just kind of felt like, what would I enjoy doing the rest of my life? I had a really great mentor, DCE, who said, you know, put money to the side. What would you enjoy doing the rest of your life? And that was the best advice. Because um, I think sometimes we we let the um, we let the tail wag the dog, in essence. And we forget that if we're passionate about something and God's calling us into it, he's going to provide for what he's calling us into. And I've learned that along the way in ministry. So that ended up taking me to Concordia Seminary. Um, and the longer I was there, the more I felt like that's what I should do. And then my last year of seminary, um, I got done with my vicarage and I'm like, okay, I think I could go back to a bigger church like my home church, um, be one pastor on a staff of many, uh, or I could take over an existing church. I said, the one thing I can't do is uh, church planting. And everybody around me was saying, no, we think you should church plant. And it was this process of like, God just like pulling on me. And I'm like, no, I went to a church plant assessment because my friend was going. Um, I said, okay, God, whatever you want to do here. So I go through this weekend long assessment and they're like, we, we've greenlit you. We think you should church plant right out of seminary. And I was like, absolutely not. Um, <laughs> and uh, I remember this moment. It was very unusual. Um, we had this call director at the time who was great and he pulled me into his office and I said, he's like, I got three great things, but I would like you to tell us what you would rather do, which is very unusual, um, in, from a seminary context. And one was to go to a church in Omaha, Nebraska, um, where I could have lived around all my undergraduate swimming friends, um, and got to be a part of a big church, helped launch out the new contemporary worship service, kind of like, you know, 
And the other was to go and essentially plant a church, spend six months to a year in training in Hot Springs, Arkansas, and then be sent somewhere else. So move again, which is kind of crazy to somebody who's just moved a ton in <laughs> a few years of seminary. And I just remember, I remember this feeling of, of God, kind of like where he speaks to you, but it's not like audible, but you, you know, it's not you kind of thing. And God was just kind of like, I was like, okay, I'd want to go to this first thing because I'm comfortable on what I can do. But if I do church planting, I know I won't be able to do it on my own. And that means God has to show up and that's where I'll grow the most in my faith. And so that's really what got me into church planting. And it was a crazy ride. Um, I went down to Hot Springs, Arkansas, got to work with a ministry called Lake Point and Greg Burse, who was an incredible experience. I felt like five years of ministry experience were crammed into six months. My second Sunday there, I got to help baptize 87 people, which wow. I never knew was possible. I got to see people really far from God, like people you would never expect to see in a church, in church. Um, I got to learn about people coming out of addictions. Um, my first traveling communion was in the parking lot of a tattoo shop. Um, and I wow. just, I, I learned what happened when you take word and sacrament and you take it out of the church building and you take it out to where people are. Um, because I firmly believe, I still believe this to this day, and this is why I'm doing what I'm doing now, that Lutheran theology is the best theology for reaching the lost. I think a lot of times we just forget to take it out of our church building. Um, but when we do, and it connects with people where they are, it's, it's powerful to see what God does with it. And so I ended up church planting a church in Knoxville, Tennessee, and I was so formed by being trained by somebody and not just having to figure it out on my own, that that really became a part of the ethos of my ministry. And so uh, a year and a half, two years into our church plant, we took our first church plant training on and all of a sudden we started training church planters through that church. And that took me up to New Jersey to take over an existing church and then launch out a church plant training center up there so we could plant in the Northeast. And I got connected with city to city up there, learned from them, just really grew in uh, my understanding of church planting and just what it looked like to not just plant a church, but to plant a church in a post-Christian context. Um, and then also the experience of doing revitalization, which is interesting because you use all the same skills to revitalize. It's just different application. And I think different people tend to, to be better at different aspects. I think I'm better at the planting side. Um, give me something where there's nothing there and we'll build it up <laughs> versus like some guys can step in and just help a church figure out how to navigate those changes. And they have just a different gift mix, I think, um, to do that. I think yeah. that's, that's a very insightful in that we often get caught up in the cliche of this is what it means to be a pastor or this is what it means to be a church member. I mean, you and I, we, we kind of have the same foundational background there, but we're in completely different directions in that I, I wouldn't, I, I think I'm with you on that in that I would never see myself as a church planter. It's not something that I would do. And it turns out that that's exactly what God uh, knew about me as well. And I've always gone into established churches that have been around. And now I'm uh, here at this current congregation that's that's 160 years old. And so it's it's almost as if it's the 180 degrees from a church plant. Yeah. Yet it's interesting how we both went to the same seminary 
different times at that seminary, but they they gave us a foundation. Uh, and, and I think a lot of people, maybe a handful of people are thinking, maybe we need to change what we do to train up our pastors. And I thought, you know, but it's working. It seems to be working. Yeah. It may not be the numbers there, but we went through the same training and yet completely different spectrum of working in the church that seems to be working really, really well. And I, I, I just thought that was so insightful and that there is a cliche about pastors and we're blowing that out of the water with you today. <laughs> well, and, and I think it's so interesting. And I love that you said so many thoughts come to mind because I think there's a lot of false assumptions when it comes to ministry. I think there's some things that we do that that's not very helpful. Like we have one term pastor, right? And if you go into the medical field and somebody's a doctor, they usually have uh, a specialty attached to that. So that you understand this is a doctor, they went to med school, but they they also have certain gifts in this area. And if we need to do something like this, we should talk to somebody in this area. And I think we don't do that with pastors. Like we don't, we, we assume every pastor is the shepherd teacher. Um, and I think the reality is we miss out on the broad spectrum of gifts guys have, because the cool thing about ministry, and I'll never forget what Dale Meyer said. He was president when when I started, literally, he was installed the year I started seminary. And I remember his, his first orientation. He said to us, we don't want to give you a bunch of answers. We want to give you a toolbox, a toolbox that you can use to go into your unique context and do word and sacrament ministry. And I think if, if we keep that philosophy, we do have a great system to do that. We give a great toolbox. Um, you're not going to go to seminary and have somebody just give you a ton of answers. And they're not just simply going to hand you the Lutheran hymnal and say, this is how you read it. Go do it that way. Um, they're going to give you a set of tools that you can use to contextualize. And I think that's really important in our day and age, because if you think about when we graduated, um, the world has radically changed. <laughs> I, I, I graduated in 2009. And if you were to tell me the challenges that I face now in ministry and the way the world looks today, I wouldn't have believed you when I started seminary in 2005, let alone when I graduated in 2009. But man, because it was a toolbox and not just a list of answers, um, I really got a foundation to be able to take on those challenges um, and really say, okay, what's, what's it look like to bring the gospel into this? What's it look like to contextualize the ministry? What's it look like to do ministry in the South? What's it look like to do it in the Northeast? And what's it look like now that I'm back in the Midwest? Um, and how have what I learned in those places, uh, what tools can I bring now to the ministry I'm doing in the Midwest? Uh, I think that so incredible that what you just said, it, it's just it, it, things are going off in my head uh, left and right here. Um, but yeah, we tend to think, okay, I'm going to bring the gospel here, but I'm going to make these people like me so that they can understand the gospel instead of bringing the gospel to them and letting the Holy Spirit do all that, right? You know, it, it's yes. almost as if, you know, our, our current tribal Lutheranism, we got to make them Lutherans before we can actually, you know, let them go out and do these things. And it's like, no, let the gospel change them. Don't, don't try to change them. Don't make, you know, we don't do that with our missionaries overseas. They go into the context and the culture where they are and bring the gospel to it. They don't try to make that culture Lutheran or, you know, you, you Germanic type of things since yeah. that's our, our background. So 
incredible uh, that you have caught on to that. I mean, yeah, you have, and you're not a, your typical, what do they call that, the traditional route, you know, right. for, to become a pastor. <laughs> I would be. I would be considered traditional. I went to a Lutheran school undergraduate. I went to a Concordia. Yeah. I went and my my degree was in pastoral ministry, which is absolutely useless unless you go into the pastoral ministry. And I didn't learn anything in my undergraduate that wouldn't that. But then I begin to realize, oh, but these passions that I had, you know, I got to seminary. There was an opening at the radio station. I, I all of a sudden I found, you know, putting the microphone in front of me. That felt natural to me. And how could I use that? And now here, 28 years later, I'm still doing that. I still got a microphone in front of me, you know. Uh, that's, that's the thing. I think at the time, too, like, we very similar past. I did a lot of radio in undergrad, too. And it's like, you don't know how God's going to use all those things. And, and you can sometimes even go into seminary under the false assumption that these things were a waste. And now I'm now I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. But it was that it was that broadcast background and that understanding that when we got into the church plant got me playing with live stream and then figuring out live stream and realizing the importance of that and how it could connect with people um in the digital front door because we were a portable church so we didn't have a building i could point people to we needed a website um and all of that allowed me to when i went into the established church say hey we need live streaming we don't why, why do we need live like, just trust me <laughs> and we did that and then the pandemic hit and we were in a 10 percent bracket of churches that actually had live streaming and then i looked at like 90 percent of my colleagues were gonna have to figure out something in a weekend that i got several years to figure out so that's when we launched out the webinar series which really grew our mailing list as a network um and we said hey here's some stuff we learned in planting this can help and all of a sudden now the, the numbers are flipped and 90% of churches are live streaming or have online presence and only 10%. And it's like, you know, the cool thing is you never know how God's going to use the gifts he's given you. And you never know how he's going to bless somebody else through those gifts. And so I wouldn't consider anything a waste. I went through seminary with a guy who was a Baltimore homicide detective and then became a pastor. And you're like, how do you use that? Well, now he trains police chaplains and does a local. And it's like, man, God, God doesn't waste anything, <laughs> you know? <laughs> nope. He used a Pharisee <laughs> to, to bring the gospel, you know, and he used a fisherman. And you're right. It's exactly right. Everything that um, is all prelude uh, when we're growing up, it, it's it's the. Uh, it's 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 looking at that. How am I going to use this? And and uh, yeah, you see that all the time yeah. in the scriptures. So where are you today? Where, where in fact, right in this moment, where are you? Right, right in this moment, I'm in. Uh, we just we made a final. I call it a final move. We've moved four times in the last calendar year. So, uh, 2020 June 2022, we just really felt this tug that we needed to step into the network full time. Um, you know, we knew there was a need to see more churches planted, more everyday missionaries raised up. And, and I wasn't doing that as much anymore. And we're like, we need to do this. So, um, we, we took a wild leap of faith. I don't, you know, it's not something that's like a strategy I would give to a lot of people, but my wife, after staying home nine years, went back, uh, to work. And so when she went back to work, we had two incomes for a little while, which was fun. 
And then we're like, I was like, Hey, what do, what do you think if we go down to zero income <laughs> on my side and we start building it from the ground up? So we did that. We moved to Florida cause we have family in Florida. Um, and then we ended up moving back to New Jersey where we had a lot of lost friends. Um, and that was great. And then now we've moved, uh, to St. Louis, um, because we have, we have family here, but we also have a lot of contracts that we're doing in the Midwest and we help, we essentially do three things. We train church planters, we train everyday missionaries, and then we help develop, uh, missional training content and strategy, uh, for churches and districts. And so we have a lot more Midwest contracts now. And we started doing some church plant training with, uh, students in the RFE program at Concordia Seminary. So there were a lot of things that were like, hey, let's move to St. Louis. Um, and so now we get to plug into mission here, um, which is really fun and uh, live by family again. My family's in uh, St. Louis. So it's been it's been really fun and God's opening up some cool doors. But I think probably the biggest thing I've learned over the last year is, you know, a closed door can be just as much God moving you in the right direction as an open one. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we have to be willing to trust God in, in those leaps of faith. And, um, man, if God calls you to something, he'll, he'll provide for you in it. It might not look exactly the way you thought it would. Um, but it's always better to follow God in the direction he's leading. Um, because there are just some cool things that are happening now that had we not had that experience of stepping out and trying something in a different way and and launching um now not just a church but kind of a, a network um from the ground up um there's there's ways that god shows up that just continue to grow you in your faith um you know continue to force you into prayer which is cool um but you never know the pathway god's got for you just trust that if you if you want to be used he'll use you um and if you share the gospel, it's never going to come back void. It might come back in ways you never expected, um, but it won't come back void. <laughs> and and don't be afraid of the closed doors and don't be afraid to try things. I think the failures have taught me more than the successes. Um, and I think each failure, each challenge has brought about new innovation um, and, a, and a new way to just connect with people in the gospel in a time where things feel like they're radically changing. In a time that we, especially in our church, we fe we see a lot of failure. And mm -hmm. it, it's almost as if, you know, we've got all these failings that we need to repent of. And that's true. That I, Don't get me wrong, yeah. but what can we learn from this? And and that's, that is that is exactly right. How is God moving this? And we, we can't get caught into the trap. And I, and I truly believe it is a satanic trap to say, I need to get my act together before God can use me. And it's like, no, it's almost just the opposite. <laughs> it's, it's so true. And you know what? It's, it's, there's some things that we're experiencing and, and sometimes we can be so insular that we don't realize the things we're exp experiencing are unique, but they're not unique to us. Um, most denominations, most churches are experiencing similar pain points. Um, they're experiencing similar challenges and issues in the culture in which we're living today, especially as we step more and more into what would be considered like a post-Christianity. If you're on either coast, west or east, um, you'll experience that a lot more than you will right now in the Midwest. 
um, which I think is, is a blessing, but also to remember that, you know, hey, there's some things they're learning on the East and the West that we should really be thinking about and considering. Um, but in the same standpoint, like, you know, we do have some things that are kind of unique. Like, I, I think it's interesting in the Missouri Senate, we sometimes don't try things because we're afraid of what somebody might say, which I think is really uh, a terrible reasoning. <laughs> and I think we don't try things because we're afraid to fail. And I think we're afraid to fail because we don't view things as just an experiment. We don't realize that it's okay to fail, that, you know, you need, there's a healthy amount of failure in every success. Um, and to allow ourselves to say, not what can't we do, but what can we do? Um, I think a lot of times we're asking the question too much, what can't I do? And not enough, what can I do? Um, and it's it causes us to kind of stifle our thinking versus saying, what can I do? It's it's okay to have an experiment. Experiments fail. They succeed, but they also fail. And it's not the end of the world. And, you know, if you're thinking especially like one of the um, parables that sticks out to me is uh, the parable of the talents. And you know what's always so interesting to me about that is at the end of that parable, God doesn't praise the servants for how much they had a return, but he praises them for risking what he'd given them. And the one servant that gets chided is the one that was afraid to risk what God had given for the sake of the gospel. Um, and I think that's an important lesson to us is like God's given us a, a powerful treasure. And you may feel like you only have a few talents or a little understanding of the gospel, whatever God's given you, invest what he's given you. Um, and realize investing is always risky. But God is a God who has story after story of risky and almost wasteful looking investment. You know, like if you're looking at Jesus, the very first parable he shares is the parable of the sower. And if you look at the amount of seed he throws out and where he throws it out, it's if you're thinking from an agricultural standpoint, it's very wasteful. But it's God's way of saying, look, I'm throwing I want to invest what I have. Um, and I think we need to be of that attitude. It's like God's give whatever he's given us, let's invest it. And let's, let's see if we can see some kingdom impact from that. That parable, as well as the, the two parables that you just cited, I think go hand in hand in that there is, um, different yields, 30, 60, yeah. hundred fold from yeah. what we've used. And it's just, don't worry about the yield. Just do it. Yeah. Just do it. And the Holy Spirit will take care of the rest. God will take care of the rest. It, you have to do something with it, though. And that's why God has called you. So let me ask you this. Why yeah. do you do this personally? You, yeah. you kind of hinted on that a little earlier, but why you? Yeah, I, you know, it's so funny. Um, I think a part of it is one passion. Like I'm really passionate about disconnected people. Um, and I use the term disconnected. Um, in place of lost, uh, for a couple reasons. One, a sensitivity toward the lost. I think if you look at somebody um, in culture today and you call them lost, they'll look back at you and go, I'm not lost. I know exactly where I am. Or they'd say, no, no, no. My parents were Christians. I identify as Christian. But we know as Christians, if you're not connected to Jesus and connected to his, his local expression of church, you're not really a Christian. You know, that's a part of being a Christian. And so I use the term disconnected because it's also easier for us to see who are we talking about? Um, anybody that's disconnected from Jesus or a local expression uh, of church. Um, 
And I, that's one, that's one reason I'm passionate about it. I always grew up around a lot of lost people doing public school and sports and things like that. And I just really believe that, you know, if we're serious about our theology and the gospel and the change it can make, I think we should invest that. Um, I, I'm passionate about planting because I think that statistically, um, new, new churches reach new people. Um, and especially I'm passionate about planting because it's a time and a season where we need to be able to launch many different um, styles and expressions of church, all word and sacrament centered, but different styles of church and different models of church are going to reach different people. Um, and then also in in training people how to be missional where they're already going, um, you're able to reach people that we could never reach in the four walls of a church. Uh, you know, the story that sticks out to me, Barna's got a lot of great research and I don't want to bore anybody with statistics. So I'll start with a story. Um, there was this guy, Alan Hirsch, and for a decade plus, Alan Hirsch has been telling people the way we do church only resonates with 40% of the population. Not that 40% would go, but it only resonates with 40%. That means just the way we've structured being the church, we're, we're leaving 60% out, um, which I always had a hard time with. And Barna's statistics have showed that. Um, but what's interesting is I always thought that was a, a fun stat from a missiologist who might or might not have made that statistic up. And over the last year in all this transition, one of the things our family started doing was um, micro church or church in our house. Um, and so we would sit down and we'd watch a, a message that we put up on what was called Church at 1002. And uh, then we'd sit down, discuss it as a family and discuss it with whoever was in micro church with us. And when we were living in Florida, I had a friend that was coming out and I thought at first he was coming out just because we were doing meals around it um, or he was coming out because, you know, family was there. And uh, one day in that response time, he just says, you know, I really like this way of doing church. He said, I never liked the three hour long service. And I was thinking, you've never in your life been to a three hour long service. Uh, <laughs> but to him, that's how it felt. But for him to step into a different environment and experience Jesus in a different way, um, it helped him connect. And I think when we only have one model for bringing people in and we only know how to invite somebody out and we don't know how to take what we've been given out to where people are, um, then we're missing out on so many people that have a desire to connect with God, but they don't have the missionary tendency to come in and figure out our culture and our way of doing it. Um, they need us to be what Jesus called us to be, which was the everyday missionary, right? To go and make disciples. And so I think the reason I'm doing what I'm doing now is because I want to help people figure out it's so much easier to be an everyday missionary than what you've ever realized. And that everyday missionaries, the disciple makers, that's the core DNA of a church plant. I think a lot of times we plant churches to make disciples. And I think it was Mike Breen, maybe, who originally said it. He said, you know, if you plant churches, you might make disciples. If you make disciples, you will plant churches. Um, and so that's really a core, but the biggest thing that has made it kind of an urgency for me um, was actually living in the Northeast, um, the most post-Christian area of the country, and realizing that you could open the doors wide and you could have the best preaching in the world, and you're still not gonna see people connect with church. The church needs to be a place where people go out if you're going to reach people in a post-Christian culture. And what I realized was 
I was surrounded by churches that only had one model for church, and that model wasn't working with the culture anymore, and yet they didn't know what to do outside of that. And so I was like, I can't just sit here and be comfortable, you know, with um, kind of transfer growth or people not going out because the other thing you'll see in a post-Christian environment is people coming to church are really passionate about church. You don't really have the, um, you know, middle of the road Christian in a culture where there's no real cultural advantage to going to church. You've just got somebody that's passionate about their faith. And so if you take that person that's passionate about their faith and equip them to share it in the places they're already going, places they live, work, learn, and play, they're going to connect with people in places you could never go. And you're going to see the gospel spread in places you would never expect. And you're going to see the church planted in places you would never expect. Um, and I think the biggest way to make a change in culture is the way they did in the first century. Um, in the first century, they didn't focus on changing all the policies and stuff like that. Like, I think that's a good thing, but they focused on being disciples in places where they lived, worked, and learned to play and other people connected with Jesus as disciples. And then the culture changed because disciples were being made. I think that, um, Today, a lot of people say, you know, we, we've lost the culture or the, the, especially in the United States, we have, something has to change. And it's like, guess what? You have the catalyst for that change. It's sitting right in front of you. You know, it's in your heart. It's in your Bible. Just do it, you know, and, and don't worry about changing the culture. Just talk to people and, and actually listen to people. Uh, so important to, to maybe, I don't know about training them. I, yeah, you want to train them, but you don't want to. I don't want people to think that there's some kind of project, but just to to show them that if you listen to somebody, they'll tell you what they need in in what they say to you, and then you can tell them, "Hey, <laughs> I've got exactly what you need. His name is Jesus. Let me tell you about him." Yeah. yeah. When you went with with church planning, what are some of the things that that you expected to happen, uh, and what are some of the things that just kind of came out of left field. I had no idea this is what, what was going to happen when I do this. Yeah. And I think probably, and especially the biggest transferable lesson for ministry, like, especially when you're looking at people who are like, man, should I try this? Should I do this in church planning? What you realize is the people you would most expect to go, didn't go. And the people you would least expect ended up being the most critical parts of the church plan. Um, and I think in ministry, Always be open for the person you don't expect um, because you never know what God's doing. Um, and then the other thing is to realize, like, on the surface, it's really easy to think, look at what I've done. Um, but I think not only is that theologically inaccurate, it's also a very unhealthy way to do ministry. I think ministry is an opportunity to partner with God, not to work for God. Um, and I think it's an important thing because what I realized in church planting is I poured a lot of time and energy into it and I worked hard as if it all depended on me, but realizing that none of it actually depended on me, it was God. And there were things that God did, um, you know, missteps that he corrected. Like I almost, I almost hired a kid's person that our uh, planting co mother congregation had fired. And I didn't know that um, would have been a terrible decision early in the church plant. Um, I, I didn't understand the concept of fool's gold when we were planting our church. 
um, where you've got a series of donors that are donating for a season. So your books look black, but they're actually red. Um, and we ended up winning a mission award that came with a big cash prize. And that cash prize um, helped us continue forward <laughs> without totally breaking the bank. Um, you know, and, and it's like, I think God worked more, um, more in that than in the, the quote unquote successful smart things. Um, because I think what you realize is this is something the spirit's doing. And I think when it comes to church and ministry, like realizing ministry comes out of dependency on the Holy Spirit. And the more you focus on, on God and the Holy Spirit and the fact that, that Jesus called us to make disciples and he said he would build his church. And I think oftentimes we've, we've flipped that. We said, I'll build your church, Jesus. Bring me disciples. <laughs> Jesus is like, no, that's not what I said. Uh, and I think, you know, if we just focus more on making disciples um, and just being faithful where God's calling us to be faithful um, and really trying to be missional and realizing that missional is not like, I'm not more missional because I'm a church planter versus in an established church. I think whatever context God's given me, choose to be missional. Realize the reason your ministry is there in the community is for the community. And the other thing you learn in church planting that I think is so important is to be more kingdom focused. I think it's really easy, um, and, and we've really struggled with this as a church body. We, we get really my kingdom focused. And whether you're talking at the local church level or a district level or even a national level, we can get very my kingdom focused and forget that the kingdom we're called to build is not our kingdom. It's Jesus kingdom. And like the interesting thing to me is, you know, sometimes organizations like Starbucks are a better picture of what the church should be than we are. Uh, like Starbucks doesn't care if you go to your usual Starbucks location or the one down the street. Um, you're you've connected in a Starbucks. And I think for us, we need to realize that so few people are in church statistically that we need to celebrate it when they go to the church down the street that's gospel centered. Um, and we need to not lament that or figure out how to get them back, <laughs> you know, maybe realize God's doing something bigger and he's got a reason to shuffle that part of the team over there. Um, and we need to focus on, okay, who can we connect with? Who can we step into our community and build relationships with and help help them see the kingdom? How have we been uniquely wired to be on mission? And I think that's what I learned in church planting is in church planting, you've got such a small window in, in the older model that you don't have time to waste on worrying about what somebody else is doing. Um, and you don't have time to waste to try to be somebody else. You have to get a radical focus on who you are what community God's called you in and how to share the gospel there. And if you focus on those things, you see much more fruit than if I spend all my time going, how can I get that person back from this church? Or why, you know, how can I do it exactly like they did it over there? Um, <laughs> yeah. So I get it. I get that. So what do you see are the opportunities of a new church? Um, and, and maybe what are the challenges of a new church plant? Yeah. Opportunities, um, you're creating a church for the culture that is. Um, you're not trying to adjust a church that was created for a culture that was. Um, 
And so that's, that's a real asset. So like for us as a church, doing things as simple as live streaming, having websites, um, doing things like that. It, I didn't, I didn't have to run it through a group of people. I didn't have to explain why it was important because it was just a part of the world we were, we were in. Um, you know, social media was a huge part when we were uh, launching out. Um, and that was just kind of a part of the world that was. So it, some of those things are easier to create. Um, one of the challenges is um, resources are a big challenge. Um, and I say it's a challenge, but then I look back too, and a lack of resources created some of our best innovation. Um, and now at this point in my ministry career, what I've learned is resources is a secondary question. Um, I think sometimes we make it the primary and when we make it the primary it does a few things. It limits our thinking. So we out of the gate limit what we're capable of, but then also it can become the thing that drives instead of letting our mission focus, the calling Jesus given us be the driver. And then figuring out how we get that done. So like, for example, a lot of the online training and platform and stuff we did came out of a place of a lack of resources. So I didn't have money to bring on a bunch of staff and we had all these newer Christians. And so what do we do? We didn't have a building where we could bring them together for Bible study. So we created a mobile app and we put the good content they could use for scripture study on the mobile app so they could do it in the places they already were. And because of our lack of resources, we were able to innovate. <laughs> and so it's like, I think sometimes some of your, your biggest challenges are really your biggest opportunities. And that was one of the things I learned. But I, I also think one of the challenges in planting was when I wasn't as connected in community because it was such a unique thing that I thought I was the only one experiencing that. Um, because there was a small group in my area that were experiencing it. And what I didn't realize is there were people all over the country that these unique challenges I was experiencing, they had experienced too. And so one of the challenges is when you isolate yourself from community. Um, and so building relationships is huge. Um, that's, that's what we created Life of a Church Planner out of this Facebook group we have that has like, I think 1200 some church planners on it now, but it was like this desire for community and connection. Now there's much better connection and community, but I think that can happen in any ministry area. Like when we pull ourselves away from community, um, we rob ourselves first <laughs> of, of the gift that can be. Um, and so I always encourage ministry leaders. It's like get around community and support um, because you're going to need that. If you're going to step into mission, uh, mission is not a solo endeavor, you know, <laughs> I get it. The, um, ways that God has used you. Do you see that? Uh, has God made that clear to you? And how, is, the, is that something that, that you could maybe elaborate on how, how God is make, make, using you to make a difference today? Yeah. So I think the biggest way God's using me to make a difference today is um, one in just training church planters and disciple makers. Um, that's the biggest thing. We don't, we actually don't in our church body have a lot of people that know how to intentionally train church planters um, and, and then can help collaborate, cohort them together. And that's something really unique that God's just kind of allowed me to do. Um, and I think one of the biggest things, and this is maybe an aside, is 
unique is, is kind of a two-edged sword. It's like sometimes we see our uniquenesses and we see them as a gift from God. And when we do, and we seek to lean into that and see how it can be a blessing to the body as a whole, um, it can become a really good thing. But sometimes unique is a challenge in the sense of like, you don't easily fit into anybody's buckets. And so, and, and sometimes that can be a really lonely feeling, if that makes sense. And so my challenge is, you know, wherever you feel like you're unique and you don't fit the mold, um, realize that's really a blessing from God and ask God how he wants to use that. Um, <laughs> it'll make that process so much easier. Um, but I'd say that's, that's a big part. The other, the other big part is, um, in creating a network, it's allowed us to be more collaborative. So we're able to help churches and districts kind of connect and collaborate together more, um, because we're not in one camp uh, in the sense of like, not one camp, that's not really the way I'd want to say it, but more of like, you know, as a district, you've got a responsibility to your district. Um, and so you can't always collaborate with other people as much as you'd want to because of your responsibilities here. And so with our responsibility being more focused on an area of ministry and not a, a region, it really helps us do some more fun collaborative things. Um, and then the other thing um, that I think is is kind of a gift that we've been able to really lean into is I've always had a high value of, of giving more things away. Um, so I just kind of trust that God's going to provide. And um, he's been really faithful with that over the years. But I've always had a tendency to to give more of what we have away than I do to, like, sell it, if that makes sense. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. It does yeah. because it's not yours to begin with. <laughs> yeah, it was a gift. So give it's, it away. It's so true. Yeah, it's so true. Um, yeah. And I think I think, too, the other the other gift that we bring to the table is like helping churches that want to figure out how to plant plant. And uh, one of the cool things is, yeah, we've dealt with a lot of lack of resources, but it's allowed us to create a lot of innovation. And then we're able to translate that innovation into ways that um, local established churches can actually use. So like the lessons that we've learned in church planting and disciple making, we're able to share with established churches that are able to take that group of people that want to figure out how to do mission. Um, I usually say in any given church, there's about 20% of people that are ready to do this, that want to learn how to step out in their community and do that. And we're able to help them through a very intentional process, learn how to do that. So they can step out and do mission. Um, and rather than have an established church that's like, yes, we're passionate about that. But now on top of everything else we're doing, we have to figure out how to build that. <laughs> and it's like, so what we do is we're able to come in and help churches do like a crawl, walk and run. Um, so we're able to help them with a very simple, um, contextualizable process that they can utilize. And then the more they do it, they can um, change it, customize it make it more um, specific to them, um, but they don't have to wait till it's fully specific to them to really start running with it. And those are some of the unique ways we're able to kind of serve the church in this, in this unique space God's given us. Let me uh, pivot a little bit. Yeah. Mentor, who most important mentors in your life? When I, when I saw this question, I'm, I'm really glad you opened it up to mentors. <laughs> so I was like, I can't just choose just one. Um, so 
some of the best mentors in my life, um, my home pastors were incredible. Um, Pastor Fran, Pastor Ted, Pastor Ted since gone on to be with Jesus. Um, but they were just always a huge encouragement and they did it in, in small ways and big ways. Um, they, we transferred into Lutheran church. So I was a Episcopal when we came in. Um, and they did some things that maybe, you know, I don't know if every ministry leader would naturally do this, but they were just great like this. They let me take the adult inquiry class with my dad. I was only in seventh grade. Um, and they just saw that I was passionate about my faith and learning more. And so they were like, yep, he can come in. <laughs> and, uh, they knew that we had been taking communion since before we can remember, cause that's kind of a normal thing in the Episcopal church. And they didn't make me wait even though I was a few years away from when the rest of the church, and that was a very missional thing to do. They made sure we understood what was going on, but they didn't say, Hey, you got to wait till all the other eighth graders take it, you know? So they were very relational in their approach. And that really formed how I deal with people. Um, you know, I, I'm very, very relational in that aspect. Um, I think, uh, church planning mentors, Greg Burst was a huge mentor, uh, in my life. And, um, he really taught me about, doing, doing church in the community and being a place that really does allow anyone to come. Um, my, uh, one of my big mentors, uh, David Putman is huge. David Putman, uh, works with Oxano group, does tons of church planting, discipleship stuff. But what I loved about Dave was he was brilliant and had done a bunch of great things, but Dave Putman was always interested in pull in figuring out how you should do it. He never looked at me and said, this is how I do it. You do it that way too. And, you know, that for me, I've always resonated more with mentors that look at me and say, hey, who are you? Um, who's God called you to be? Uh, pastor Christensen, Lutheran pastor out here, another great one. He was a lifelong learner. Um, and I remember sitting down with him. He's 30 plus years into ministry and he's asking me what I'm learning. And I'm like, I should be the one that has the notebook out taking notes from you. But he's just like, he modeled that for me, which was huge. Uh, a guy named Mac Lake um, taught me a ton about leadership pipeline and leadership development and how to, how to develop people. Um, and so those were all huge uh, mentors in my life. Right now I'm working with a guy, um, uh, Peyton Jones, who wrote Church Plantology. And I'm learning a ton from him about what it looks like to create planting networks and how to how to plant in more and varied styles, um, which is really, really cool. So yeah, I feel like I, I feel kind of spoiled when it comes to <laughs> the mentor conversation. <laughs> that's great though, that you have those. And I think that's important for people to hear is that you don't just have one, uh, you have them in seasons, you know, where you yeah. are, but it can be multiple and, and it also unlikely. You know, the, the, in unlikely places, this could be a, somebody, and, and you really only realize that when you look back. It's like all of a sudden, but it's a gift from God when you can realize, yeah. oh, I'm in the presence of somebody that, that really is going to not only grow me, or God is going to grow me through them, but it's just I can listen and just sit at the feet, right? You just want to sit at the feet. You want to be a, 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 a Mary and not a Martha. And it's, it's huge because, one, it's a way to experience discipleship which you can't disciple if you're not being discipled. Um, and then the other thing is I always encourage people look for the MC squared. Uh, there's three areas uh, of mentorship that you look for. One is a mentor and that's somebody whose life you want, you value, um, you respect, and you'd like to model that. 
Um, and that's a very organic relationship. I think a mentor-mentee relationship is always formed on the mentee's side and not the mentor. Like I couldn't look at somebody and go, I'm going to mentor you. Um, that's an overstep. Um, but somebody can look at you and basically go, man, you're, you're a mentor in my life. Um, there's a coach, which is somebody that comes along in a very specific season. Um, maybe there's somebody that's helping you work on a specific area. So like I have my church plant coaches. Um, I, I have a, a spiritual director right now, which has been huge. Um, and that's, that's been a huge help. He just helps me learn how to connect more with God in prayer and how to listen um, to God as, as he speaks through scripture and through, you know, those normal means, but sometimes you need somebody to help coach you in that. And that's been huge. And then finally a counselor, um, and the counselor is an interesting, right? It could be a professional counselor. I've worked with a guy named Dr. Hartung. He's, he's walked with me since my planting in Knoxville. Um, and we, we regularly connect. He's, he's been a huge, uh, friend mentor, but always a counselor and a counselor that's somebody that is that person that you can tell anything to. Um, they're they're there and they're not connected to any area of your life uh, as far as like if if my church plant or my network were to fail tomorrow, um, it doesn't affect my counselor except in the sense of he's going to look at me and go, "How are you doing?" Um, you know, he's not attached to the success or failure of that except for how it's attached to me. Um, and those three areas have been huge in my life, um, and trying to keep that in rhythm. And I think the biggest thing is they're helpful. Keep them in seasons where things are good because they're vital in seasons where you're walking through a storm or a challenge. And oftentimes when you're walking through that storm or challenge is not the best time to try to find those things. It's when you want to be able to lean into the investment that's already been made there. I'm going to give you a gigantic billboard, and it can be placed anywhere in the world. Um, and your message is going to get out to billions and billions of people. So what do you put on that billboard? This, I, I thought about that. This is what I would put on that billboard. Um, it would be directed, it would be marketed toward the church. Um, and it would say, don't go to church, be the church. Um, I, I think too often we forget that the church is a people, it's not a building. Um, and I think that we're called to be the church out in places. And I think we're too focused on trying to get people into our building. And the funny thing is, if we focus more on being the church out where people are, more people will come into the building. <laughs> yeah. But because we're focused on getting people into the building, less people come into the building <laughs> mm -hmm. and less people get connected to Jesus. So that's what, that would be my big, that would be my billboard. If you gave That's me awesome. Thank you so much for that. Don't go to church. Be the church. All right. So I'm going to wrap this up, but I do want to ask you this. Give me some books that you are most likely to gift to somebody that you, you, you want to put that this, this book in their hands. Yeah. Um, I would say to church planters, missionaries, uh, or anybody going to ministry, I would put Tim Keller's Center Church. Um, especially the first um, section of that where he talks about the gospel. Um, that would be huge because I think a lot, especially as Lutherans, we talk a lot about how to, how to teach the gospel, how to apply the gospel to people. We don't think enough about how the gospel applies to our life and our work in ministry. Um, I would, um, 
to the to the pastor walking through ministry, I would give the book uh, Leading on Empty by Wayne Cordero, um, which actually walked through his burnout um, and kind of talked about spiritual vitality principles and rhythms that are so important. I would put the book um, by, oh, I'm forgetting his name, um, Praying Scripture. When it comes to prayer, it was a huge uh, book for me. Um, and I'm, I'm just forgetting his uh, his name, but incredible book. It teaches you how to pray with scripture as a template, which is really cool. No um, problem. I'll get I'll get the uh, the author's name, and we'll put these links in the show notes. So hang in there. Yeah, so for those that are leading a team, um, those that are leading a team, I would give I would give two in particular. Um, I would give them uh, Working Genius um, because I think it's great for focusing on how to work together as a team and the different areas of genius that people have. Um, and it's great when you're collaborating with a group. And then also um, in e the Enneagram book, um, Road Back to You by Ian Crone, I think is great um, because I think also it helps with a better understanding of who you are um, and how you operate, uh, which I think is really cool. Um, so those are those are some really good ones that I would put out there. Good. I, and like I said, I will put those links. We'll have links for those and the author's names so people can, can find those. So if I as I wrap this up, something that you really wanted me to ask and I didn't get to it, a question that you want, and then give me an answer. <laughs> um, yeah. I Man, you asked such great questions. I, don't, <laughs> I would say... I would say, okay, if, if I'm one of those people that wants to learn how to get out um, and do mission in the community, um, how, how could I do that? And I would say um, definitely check out missionarypathway.org, but we also have like, uh, we have a series of videos that we put out every week called Mission Insights. Um, and there you can go to the Kairos Network on YouTube and uh, you can find them there, but they're just really simple five minute videos that talk about just different missional mind shifts that you can walk through and different ways you can be missional in the places you're already going. Um, and I think what I would encourage somebody is it's so much easier than you realize. Most people that walk through like a missionary pathway, um, what they end up saying is, oh man, this is so much easier than I thought. Um, and if you're a pastor or like a professional ministry leader, they think, man, this is so easy. I could have built this. And I'm like, yes, you could have. Um, <laughs> and that's the goal, you know? Um, but I would say, I would say definitely learn to do that. And if you're, if you want to learn one skill that could be a game changer in connecting, helping people connect to Jesus where they're already going, learn how to do discovery Bible study. Um, because discovery Bible study is a simple thing you can do anywhere, uh, with anyone, uh, whether they're connected in faith or they're not. Um, and it's something you can do in context and it's a, it's a simple way to take the most one of the foundational pieces of our faith out, which is the word, um, and allow it to do its work in, in the wild, you know? <laughs> awesome. I will, uh, pass that along as well, uh, in the show notes, that kind of thing. So I've got your links and we'll, we'll connect people to you if they want to get connected. I want to thank you, Matt Peoples, for joining me in the pastor's office today. You're great, and I pray that God will richly bless your ministry as you continue to help the church and the disconnected people to get out there. Oh, Ed, thanks for having me, man. This is so much fun. All right. Thanks, Matt. I 
hope you enjoyed today's reflection. Reflection is a weekly podcast produced by St. Matthew Lutheran Church in Hawthorne Woods, Illinois. You can connect with St. Matthew by going to our website, www.stmats.net. That's www.stmatts.net. And if you find yourself in the northwest suburbs of Chicago, we would love to see you at one of our services or events here at St. Matthew. We are located in Hawthorne Woods. We're about an hour northwest of downtown Chicago and just a half hour's drive from O'Hare Airport. You can also find us on our Facebook page, our YouTube channel, and on Instagram. Our podcast music was provided by thepodcasthost.com and Alitu, the podcast maker. Find your own free podcast music at thepodcasthost.com slash free music. I'm Ed Blonsky. Thank you for joining me today. Please rate and review the show and share it with others. And join me again next time for more Reflection.